Well, we've been talking about the greater things that God wants to do in our life. And uh, this is the second to last week in this series, and then we'll move into Advent. But we've been saying that God has more for us in store. Wherever you are, and I've been saying this every week, but some of you, this is your first time here. Wherever you are in your faith, wherever you are in your life journey, there is more that God has for you. If you're just starting out, or if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, wherever you are, God has more for you that he wants for you to experience. There are greater things that God wants to do in you. But it's not just greater things that he wants to do in you. We have been talking a lot about that, but there's also greater things that God wants to do through you, that God sees our lives and there are things that God wants to affect inside of us and change, but there's also greater things that God has in store through your life. How often do you think about your purpose in life? How often do you think about what life is about, what your life is about, the reason that you exist on this earth, the reason that God allowed you to come into existence? How often do you think about your purpose in this world or uh, the meaning of life in some ways you could even say, or the meaning of your life? How often do you think about that? Maybe for some of us, we think about it a lot, A lot of times in college or maybe even nearing the end of high school, uh, people start to think about what is it that I want my life to be about? What are my goals? What's my purpose? Sometimes as you get into middle age, you begin to think about what your purpose is and have I lived it and what am I here for anyway and what's it all about? Sometimes, uh, maybe for some of you, you just, you think about this often. You're a reflective kind of person and you like to drink tea and you know, have candles and, and that kind of stuff, and you think about the purpose and the meaning of life all the time. Um, I, I get that. That's, that's me. Um, and so, whatever it is, here's, here's the truth, though. It is easy. It's easy to get caught up in just living, right? It's easy to get caught up in just living our life and doing our things, And that's the good and the bad. It's easy to get caught up in, I go to work, or maybe you don't go to work, but you go to your computer and you work, and then you are done, and maybe you've got some stuff to do with the kids, and then maybe you watch some TV, and then the end, and then you do it again, or, or even the good kind of stuff that you have fun, and you hang out with friends, and go to a restaurant, and you have this fun conversation, and you drink this good beverage, and you have this good meal, and you go to this cool place, and you do this cool thing, and it's easy to just kind of get caught up living life and not necessarily think about what, what's it all here for? What's the purpose? What am I here for? What's my purpose? And when we have purpose, when we live with a sense of purpose, it really brings everything together. It gives us joy even when things are hard because we know here's, here's what my life is about. Here's what I'm about. So we're able to endure. Maybe if you've ever had a, a hard job before or, or something like that, but you knew, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm pushing through because maybe there was a, a big bonus on the other side of it or something that you, you're able to even maintain joy and endurance because of purpose. A purpose helps us to see the bigger picture, even when the minutia of our life and the details can be monotonous, we still have a bigger picture in our life. Purpose gives us joy, gives us a connection, it gives us endurance. When we have purpose, it does a lot of stuff for us, and I don't know how you think about it. Sometimes we think about purpose as in, I want to leave a legacy, 
You may think about purpose in specific things. Maybe, maybe you have a very clear sense of purpose and it's about these projects or kind of these aspects of justice that you care about or it might be about your kids or also maybe it's your job even that you feel like I have a fulfilling career and my purpose is really to live that out in my job. There's a lot of different ways that we can think about it, but no matter how you think about it or how often you think about it, it's easy to miss it. It's easy to forget about it. It's easy to get lost in the weeds. And so today, as we talk about the greater things that God wants to do, not just in us, but through us, I want to speak on how is it that we live with purpose? How do we live with purpose? If we want to truly connect to our purpose, the starting point of that is going to be to connect to God's purpose. If we want to connect to our purpose, we have to say, what is God's purpose? And then we truly experience our purpose when we connect to his. And so we're going to look at this passage and then kind of explore the different ways that it helps us understand what God's purpose is and what our purpose thus is. So in 1 Peter, this is a letter that the Apostle Peter writes to the churches. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is God's purpose? The Bible teaches this, and whether you're very familiar with the Bible or just kind of learning some of what the Bible says, the Bible, the story of the Bible, and we can't go through every single aspect, but the story of the Bible is that God made the world, and he made it good. He made it to enjoy him and to enjoy one another and to enjoy creation. God made the world. He made it good, but then our human parents, Adam and Eve, and then ever since then, every human rejects God, ignores God, lives our own way, does our own thing. And what happens is sin enters into the world and it breaks everything. It breaks relationship with God. And you can think about this just in our own lives. Sin breaks relationship with God. It breaks relationship that we have with one another. It breaks even in some sense our own relationship with ourself. Our own emotional and spiritual life is out of whack. It breaks relationship with the world. It breaks relationship of what we're even here for and what life is about. And we feel the effects of that. One of the words that the Bible uses for that, that's a theme that kind of goes throughout the Bible, is this word that Peter uses, darkness. He talks about God calling them out of darkness. But to talk about God calling out of darkness is to say that darkness is the state of that broken world. That's one of the words and one of the themes that the Bible uses repeatedly to help us understand the brokenness is to say it's like we're in darkness. It's like we are living in darkness. You don't, and if you think about darkness, you don't see correctly. You don't see reality the way it is. We, I, I was, uh, we were at a hotel recently and the, the lights, we're trying to figure out how the lights work because if you're ever in hotels, it's like this light turns on that lamp, but then this light turns on these ones. And you're like, what the heck? How do I, trying to figure it out and hit one switch that turned off all the lights. And I went back to go to the, the deck to turn them back on and I just ran right into the wall. And I was like, oh my gosh, I laid down on the bed 
And then I was like, oh, my head's hurting. And my wife was like, are you okay? Are you okay? I was like, okay, just, just give me a second. And then I looked up and the sheet was covered in blood. I was like, oh, that was actually, I hit my head really hard. Um, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, it's okay. Uh, my name is George, and I remember everything, and it's fine. Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm just kidding. So, uh, but I, I was okay, but I, I was bleeding. I was like, man, this is, this is bad. But that's darkness, right? Darkness is you don't see reality correctly. You don't see truth correctly. Darkness is that there's things about God. There's things about yourself. There's things about others. There's things about the world. There's things about, the, you don't see it right. And that it causes pain because if we don't see correctly, it causes pain. It causes hurt. We damage each other. We damage the world. We, we reject God because he is revealing who he is, but we don't, we don't see him correctly. That's a part of what darkness is. And that's a theme that goes throughout the Bible. Here's, here's from Isaiah. I just want to show you this because I think it encapsulates that picture of darkness. It says this, the prophet Isaiah, they will wander through the land dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. This is a great picture of what the Bible means when it talks about darkness because it covers several different aspects. It talks about a broken relationship with God. They look upward and they curse their king and their God. That's a part of what's wrong with this world. It talks about suffering that people experience, the gloom of affliction, being famished, being hungry. So it talks about the suffering we experience in this world. It talks about interpersonal problems. It talks about injustice, distress. It talks about all sorts of things having to do with darkness. But the next passage is really what God's purpose is and what God wants to do. Then the next lines after this, but in the future, he will bring honor the way of the sea to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And then he goes on to some prophecies about a wonderful counselor and about the one that brings light, which we know to be Jesus, talking about how he will be king of his people and king of the world and will bring light. And as I said, we're moving into Advent and during, not to get ahead of ourselves, but in Advent, we, we light candles to be able to say that Jesus is the light of the world. And that's what Peter says. Peter says he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is God's purpose? We live in a world of darkness. We live in a world where that affects everything. We don't see clearly. There's suffering, there's injustice, there's affliction, there's broken relationship in every way. And God's purpose is to bring light. God's purpose is into all of the darkest areas of your life and of, the light, uh, and of the life of the world. God's purpose is to bring light into the darkness. Or another way that uh, Peter says this and that Jesus talks about this is that he comes to bring light. He comes to bring a kingdom, though. Look at these words. You are a chosen race. You're a holy nation and you're a people. It's not just that God comes to kind of shine a light and show us individually some truth. Rather, what he is doing is building a kingdom, 
Elsewhere in the Bible, Paul talks about that God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, which is also to say that this would be a kingdom of light as opposed to darkness. That what Jesus did when he came, what God's purpose is in calling us into his marvelous light is setting up a kingdom, setting up a nation, a people, a race. Just think about that as grouping. God is saying, I come to bring a people of light, which is also what we are called. That image, again, goes throughout the Bible. So what is God's purpose? God's purpose that Peter says, that the Bible says, that Jesus said, is to bring light into the darkness. Not just belief, not just us believing correctly, but us belonging to a different kind of kingdom. God wants us to belong to a different kind of kingdom. That's what those words mean. The way that I thought about this is also, I don't know if any of you are Star Wars fans, but Disney, if they exist in the future, we'll see. But Disneyland opened up uh, a new Star Wars land. And when you, if you've ever been to Disneyland or Disney World or anything like that, the goal is to transport you into a different kind of world, Right? And everything from the, the cast members to the decorations to the rides to the music, it's all intended to transport you into a different kind of kingdom. That's what Disneyland is called, the magical kingdom. It's to transport you into a totally different place from the place that exists before, from the place that exists around you. And this is kind of from a, a popular nerd blog uh, thing, and that's not an insult, uh, but... He says this, this is like a review of Star Wars, and he says, you walk in and you instantly feel like you've left Disneyland in Anaheim, California, and become immersed in the Star Wars universe. That's the goal, to immerse in a different universe, a different kingdom. And he, he even says, even the bathrooms somehow feel like Star Wars. And let me tell you, it's both a little weird and exceedingly fun to pee in this world. That's the kingdom of Star Wars. What God's purpose is, is to call us out of darkness into a kingdom of light where we are actually living in a different kind of kingdom, where we are transported into a kingdom where God is king. What would it be like to live in a world where God is king? How would that affect our emotions and our relationships and how would that affect the problems in the world? That is what God is going to do one day. The theologians talk about the already and not yet of the kingdom of God. To say that already the kingdom of God is breaking in. Already because Jesus, the light of the world, has come. Already that's breaking in, but it's not yet fully consummated. But that is what God's purpose is. His purpose is to get rid of the darkness and to bring the light. To create a kingdom of light. Listen, this is what God wants to do in your life individually. The darkest parts of your life, and I don't know what those are. You know, it's interesting. We use darkness to talk about sin and suffering a lot of times, just even in common language. We might say my deepest, darkest secrets, sometimes referring to things that have happened to us or things that we have done. And sometimes we'd say, man, it was a really dark time in my life. A lot of times that refers to suffering that we're experiencing, affliction. God wants to bring light into the darkest areas of your soul. God wants to bring light. 
into the darkest parts of who you are and into the world around us. Sometimes we look at the world, right? And we feel the pain and we feel the injustice and we feel the hurt and we feel the sickness and we see the death counting and we see the sickness counting and we, and we feel, God, bring your light. That is what God's purpose is, to bring his light and to bring a kingdom of light to this world. So how does God accomplish that? If that's what God's purpose is, how does God accomplish his purpose? What is God going to do? How is he going to bring that about? And Peter gives us a couple things. He says that God calls people out of darkness into light. And because of his mercy, you've received mercy, not because of something that the people in darkness did. See, if we are a part of the problem, which is what the Bible teaches, that we are a part of the darkness, we're not exempt from it. We're not people that just look at the darkness and say, man, I wish that darkness would get its act together. We are a part of it. But what God does to accomplish his purpose is that he calls people out of darkness in his mercy. God looks, and some of you know this, right? Some of you grew up as Christians, you grew up in the church. Some of us have had an experience where we knew, we felt, we lived. My life is in darkness. And yet, because of mercy, God said, I'm calling you out of that. You're not staying in that darkness anymore. You belong to me. And I am calling you away from it. I am calling you to myself. I am giving mercy, not because you earned something, not because you did a great job. And I thought, man, they're not so dark. But God said, in my mercy, I'm calling you out of darkness. The way that God accomplishes his purpose is he looks at the darkness and he looks at those of us affected by the darkness. And he says, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you to myself. I am giving you the gift of mercy. This is what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news, which is we're in darkness, but he gives us grace. We have received mercy, Peter says. That is the gospel. We, didn't, we are a part of the darkness. We are a part of the people that reject and ignore God. And yet he says, I'm sending my son, the king of light, to call you into my light. He calls us, he chooses us, he saves us, he adopts us, he gives mercy. That's what God has done. If you're a Christian, that's what God has done for you. And that's how God seeks to bring about his purpose in the world is that he calls, but not just calls. Here's the second word that's important. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. And here's what this means about the priesthood. Because we, you know, we're not, this isn't 2,000 years ago in Israel. That, that language is a little bit weird to us to think about being a royal priesthood. But what this is saying is that God calls and he commissions. That God saves us and he sends us. And the Bible talks all about this, but the, the language of priesthood gives us a really helpful image. It's from the Old Testament. And when we think about priests, this is kind of, you know, this is a cartoon, this isn't a real picture, but this is, this is what the priests in the Old Testament look like. And the job of the priests, this is how uh, Christopher Wright, who's an Old Testament uh, scholar, here's, here's what he says from the, his book. He says, the job of the priests was to bring God to the people and bring the people to God. God says to Israel, as a whole people, you will be for me 
This is what God says to Israel. You will be for me to all the rest of the nations what your priests are for you. Through you, I will become known to the world. And through you, ultimately, I will draw the world to myself. See, when God says you are a kingdom of priests, the job of the priest was to show God, to represent God to people, to bring people to God. But what God said to Israel as a nation was you are to be a priest to the whole nations, to bring me to them and to bring them to me. And then that's the same language Peter is actually even quoting from Moses and quoting saying the church, we are a royal priesthood. See, God calls and commissions. The way that God accomplishes his purpose is he calls people out of darkness and then with those people, he commissions them to be priests. You are a royal, listen, you're a royal priesthood. We should just change the name of this church. We're gonna be royalpriesthood.com. That's, I actually went to that and it redirects to Harvard, Harvard's Twitter account, which is, I don't it's like maybe a sort of Illuminati conspiracy, I'm not sure. But it, it, it directs to, to Harvard's Twitter account. But that is what God says, is you are a royal priesthood. You are a kingdom of priests. That I am, I am commissioning you to represent me to the world. Just as a priest represented God to an individual person, I'm calling you as the church out of darkness and then to represent me to the world. It's easy to miss this. When we think about how God accomplishes his purpose, sometimes we even pray for the world. You may pray for your friends that don't know Jesus. You may pray for the problems in the world. And sometimes it's easy to miss and we think that God works by magic. God can. God can do things that just blow our minds and we have no involvement in. But the ordinary way that God works, the ordinary way God works is through us as his people. If God wants to bring light into a dark world, the normal way that he does that is through taking people and saying, I want you to represent me. I want you to let your light shine. I want you to represent my light, to show my light to others. It's easy to miss that. And listen, church, it's easy for us to forget that this is who we are. It's easy for us to think that church, that this is about our personal growth, there's a part of that that's true. That it's about our learning. Part of that that's true. What does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a Christian? It's easy to think that's about me and God. My relationship with God. What I learned from God. Even, and we talk a lot about this and this is true. Even to just think it's about friendship and community and building relationships. All of that has a degree of truth to it. But it's more than that. God says, I am calling a people out of darkness and I'm commissioning a people to go into the darkness to represent me. That I save you and I send you. The way that God accomplishes his purpose is through us being a different kind of kingdom. That people should be able to enter in here and like Star Wars go, wow, this is a totally different kingdom. And when I say enter in here, I mean on a Sunday, but I also just mean into our community. And see, this is, wow, it feels like God is king here. It feels like I've been transported into a different world. It, even peeing here is different, that it's a different world. That's the way God accomplishes his purpose, which means this. That's your purpose. You have a purpose. You 
deeply matter. And I don't say that in some sort of self-esteem way to just say, man, you're so special and you're so, I'm not saying it like that, but to say God has a call on your life and you deeply matter in bringing his light into the darkest parts of this world. We have a purpose. You have a purpose. Finally, how do we participate in God's purpose? God's purpose is to bring light into the darkness. The way that God accomplishes that is by calling people and commissioning people into the darkness. How do we participate then? What does that actually look like? What does that mean for us? And I want to give you three things that Peter gives to us. And to look at that, we'll go to the next section. He says, right after what we just read, Peter says this, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. Gentiles, if you think there's Israel and then there was all the other nations, those were called Gentiles. But now that the church is God's people, then all those that do not know Jesus that are outside of God's family are called Gentiles. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. How do we participate in God's purpose? There's three things. First is that we must be present. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. It takes our presence. See, when God calls you out of darkness into his light, he doesn't call you out of darkness and never to be in darkness. The way that uh, Jesus talks about this in the book of John when he is praying right before he goes to the cross is he prays that his disciples, and he specifically says, not just these disciples that are here with me right now, but all those who will come later, which is us, he says, I pray that they would be in the world. He says, they're not of the world. They have a different identity, but I pray that they would be in the world. The world hates them, he says, which is similar to what Peter says here. The world hates them because they're not a part of it. Their identity is different, but I don't want you to take them out of it. I want them to be in it. I want them to be among it. I want them to be present. How is God supposed to give light to those that are in darkness? How are, po how are people supposed to see the light of God in the middle of a dark world? if all the light leaves. That's what Jesus says also when he talks about how, how are people supposed to see your light if you bury it under a, a bushel or you cover it in a basket. Some of you maybe sang the song in church, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I think, I can't remember the next, it's like don't let Satan blow it out or something like that, but it's a little bit of a weird song, but it still is it's trying to say if God has given you this light, you're not supposed to hide it. You see, the way that we participate in God's mission first is actually being among the darkness. Isn't it easier? Isn't it easier to totally separate from those different than us? Isn't it easier if we say, this is dark, to totally separate from it and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to be anywhere near it. I only, man, light is good. I only want to be with light. That's easier. It's our natural inclination. And yet, God has a purpose for our life. God has a mission for our life. God still cares 
about the people in darkness, about a world of darkness. And the way that he invites us to participate is being present. Which means, specifically, we shouldn't just leave our relationships with those that don't know Jesus. We shouldn't just leave the hard parts in the world and in our city. That we should enter into and be among. Not to become like, but to bring light. What does that mean for you? It can mean different things. I think part of what it means is we seek to develop relationships with those that don't know Jesus. It's so easy when you become a Christian to begin to only have relationships with light. And yet what God would call us to is to be present among, to eat with, to pray for, to invite into our home, to invite to church even. You can think about that in different ways when you talk about being among the Gentiles. I've heard other people kind of go through these uh, segments. You can think about your location, so your neighborhood and people there that you build relationships with. You can think about your vocation, your job and the people there that you're around. You can think about recreation, the kinds of things that you like to do. But to think, we should all be thinking about this. And I know for some of us, maybe it's easy. Some of us, maybe it's harder and more challenging. But we should all be thinking about how can I be present among those that don't know God? How can I be present among those that are still in darkness? How can I do that? How can I arrange my life so that I haven't totally separated? So that I'm not living opposite of what Jesus actually prayed for me? which is don't take them out of it. Be in it because he still cares and wants to bring light. That's the first thing is that we must be present. How we participate in God's mission, we must be present. Secondly, we must proclaim. He says that God saves us. He makes us this chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, so that there's a reason. Anytime you see so that, that's a purpose statement, which is what we're talking about. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness. See, God wants us to be present, but not just present and just silent, but to be present and to be proclaiming, to be speaking of the one who called us out of darkness. We always proclaim what we view as praiseworthy, whether that's a restaurant that you love, whether that's a show that you love, whether that's a person that you love, we always are talking about, we're always proclaiming what we love, right? We do that all the time. Have you seen this show? Have you seen this? The Crown's coming back this week. For those of you that are into The Crown, like, oh, it's such a good show. Have you read this book? Oh, this book is so good. Have you listened to that new Chris Stapleton CD that just came out? Or not CD, I'm living in the 90s, but the album or whatever. I don't even know what you call them, you know, the thing on Spotify. Have you listened to that? And we always proclaim what we love. I mean, for those of you that have had babies, you, you, don't, you don't just show up one day at church and be like, what's that? Oh, yeah, it's a baby. Like, you're, you're already talking. You send out announcements. You say, put my baby on your fridge. What? It's not my baby. I don't care. Put it on your fridge. I'm proclaiming, right? I've got your babies on my fridge. I'm not saying anything bad about that. Well, if they're cute, I've got them on my fridge. Um, <laughs> We use the back side of the fridge also, but we <laughs> but you always proclaim, you always proclaim what you view as praiseworthy, right? And that's what God is saying. How we participate in his purpose, we proclaim the praises of and listen, this is so important. I'm essentially talking about evangelism. 
But I think sometimes if you've been a Christian for a while, I don't, I don't think this is totally true, but I think maybe some of us need to hear this. When we think about evangelism, we think about telling people that they're wrong and instead they should do it our way. But that's not what evangelism is. Evangelism means speaking the good news. That's where it comes from in the Greek. That's what he is saying. We are proclaiming the praises of the one. We're talking about Jesus. We're saying, look how amazing he is. Look who he is. Look what he has done. Look how great he is. So how do we participate in God's mission? Presence, proclamation, and then the, the final part is really wrapped up in this word, holy. And it's our practice of our life. This word holy is so important. Again, all of these, by the way, if you've got uh, like a, a digital Bible that you're using, it'll show this on a, on a paper Bible. But if you're using a digital Bible, all those will have like little hyperlinks that go back to references. Because all of this is Old Testament hyperlink language that when he is talking to the people, they understand. Oh, royal priesthood? Got it. I know what you're talking about. Holy nation, got it. I know what you're talking about. For us, a lot of times we, we don't really get it or we think different things when we hear those words. Because when you think about holiness, we might just think about really upright people that tuck in their shirts and don't smoke or something. I don't know, you know, what you think about. But holy meant so much more than that. Holy meant that we are a people that are essentially like God. That who God has been to us, we then are to others. That who God has shown himself to be, we then, again, kind of like the priesthood, reflect that to others. Here's how uh, Christopher Wright, again, says this. For Israel to be holy, then, meant that they were to be a distinctive community. So holy is this language of being set apart to be a distinctive community among the nations, even though the rest of the nations are different, even though the rest of the people do things in different ways, Israel was to be distinct, holy, set apart. In what way? To become, or to be more precise, Israel was to be Yahweh-like, like God. That's the personal name for God. Rather than like the nations. Holiness for Israel meant reflection on earth of the transcendent holiness of Yahweh himself. Which is why at different times God will say, as I am holy, you be holy. As God is different from all the other false gods of this world, you be different. That we as the church are to reflect a different God than the gods of the nations, than the gods of money, sex, power, success. We're to be different than that. We're to reflect that we have a different God. And when the Bible talks about holiness, when it therefore goes through and says, so what does that mean? What does that look like? If you are to be holy, what, what would that mean to represent what God is like? And let me just show you kind of some of the sample from uh, Leviticus, which I know maybe is a weird book for some of us, but it talks about all these aspects of holiness. And when it talks about holiness, it's comprehensive because it's saying, here's who God is, here's who we are. And it goes through all these different things. Holiness involves Respect within the family and community. Exclusive loyalty to Yahweh as God. Proper treatment of sacrifices. Economic generosity in agriculture. Observing the commandments regarding social relationships. Economic justice in employment rights. Social compassion to the disabled. Judicial integrity in the legal system. Neighborly attitudes and behavior. Loving one's neighbor as oneself. Sexual integrity. 
preserving the symbolic tokens of religious distinctiveness, rejection of practices connected with idolatrous or occult religion, no ill treatment of ethnic minorities, but rather racial equality before the law and practical love for the alien as for oneself, commercial honesty in all trading transactions. That's what the Bible means when it talks about holiness. It's very comprehensive. It touches every aspect of life. A lot of times when we think about holiness, we might think of just the direct connection between God and some of the religious distinctiveness, and that's a part of it, but it's so much more than that. To be holy is to say, I am showing what God is like. God is holy, God is set apart, God is different, and we are a community that is set apart, that is different. And then Peter uses this language, I think, that further expounds the holiness See, if you want to talk about the way that we participate in God's mission, I know that was a lot on holiness, so let me just recap really quick. It's our presence, our proclamation, and then our practice. And our practice essentially being our holiness, that all of life is shaped how God has been to us. And Peter breaks that down in the negative and the positive. So the negative is to abstain. As strangers and exiles, abstain from sinful desires. So if you want to break down holiness, part of it is what you don't do, is what Peter is saying. Abstain from certain things. Isn't it easy in this world to just go with the flow? Maybe for some of us, our problem is that we're not present at all among those that don't know God. But it's also really easy to be, in some sense, too present. To say, I'm just the same as you. But what Peter is saying is there's things that we must abstain from. Why? Because we're strangers and exiles, which means ultimately this isn't our home. And that doesn't mean we don't care about this world, but it means that this is not, our ultimate allegiance should not be here to these gods and these ways and these practices. So there's abstinence that should happen from the sinful desires that are in a world that is hostile to God. Living in a dark world, what that means is that, and I mentioned this, that our city, that our country, that our world has different gods that it worships. There's gods of individual freedom. There's gods of success and power and money and approval and comfort and the American dream and recreation and all sorts of things that we build our life around of being autonomous individuals that decide our own life. The self is a huge God in our country where everything revolves around me and what I think and my views and my beliefs and how I feel. He says, abstain. This isn't your home. This isn't your ultimate world. This isn't, you're a stranger here. I've, I've spent... In the course of my life, a couple different times, I've spent a couple months in different countries. A couple months in Russia, a couple months in Costa Rica, a couple months in Italy. I'm, I was in the CIA, so that's kind of where that was. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, different reasons for those things. But, I, but I, never, I was never at home there, which changes some of how I'm there. It changes some of how I'm present in those places. For some of those things, for tourism, for some of them, for mission purposes. But I was never home there. I was still a stranger there. The language wasn't mine. The government wasn't mine, ultimately. The customs and culture wasn't mine. 
And it doesn't mean I was hostile to it. It doesn't mean I was against it, but I was living in some way like a stranger there. God is reminding us, abstain. This isn't, if you become too friendly, too at home in the world, something's off. Now listen, there's different ways to do that. There's ways to do that that feel very Christian, where we just become at home in the world and we're kind of living the American dream and care about our house and our family and our education and good moral values. And we're really kind of building a nice life for ourselves here. And there's a way that maybe doesn't look as Christian where we just adopt all the values and don't want to offend anyone and don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and don't want to be seen as a stranger. Want to be kind of, we might not use this language because we're older now, but want to be kind of cool, want to fit in, don't want to be seen as a bigot and an idiot and an ignorant, stupid Christian and don't want to be identified with certain people and certain things and, and just want to feel at home. And not be strange. Peter is saying, abstain. Abstain from practices. Abstain from desires. Remember, you're holy. You're different. You're set apart. This world is not your home. You are a stranger. You are an exile. So there's the negative and then the positive, which is to conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that they slander you as evildoers. Listen, you, you know you're doing this. Don't uh, take this as too big of a statement, but Jesus said, if they, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. So you should be slandered. You should be hated to some degree. If you're not, you're probably living too at home. Now, don't go too far. People might hate you because you're hateable. People might hate you because you're a jerk also, right? People also love Jesus. So don't go too far. The reason they hate me is because of how much I love God. No, they hate you because you're a jerk, right? So don't go too far on that. But he says, they're going to slander you as evildoers. But when they do that, let them see your good works. And it actually changes them to glorify God. They actually see, I love the way that the NIV says it which says, live such good lives among the pagans. Live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God. This is what Jesus says when he says, let your light shine so that people would glorify God. That people would, there's a, there's a negative aspect of holiness of things we don't do and a positive aspect of holiness of the way that we conduct ourselves, our good works, which is why other places in the Bible say things like devote yourselves to good works, be zealous for good works, excel in every good work. The Bible uses that superfluous language over and over again to say you should be working in a way that people see who God is through your life. Now that looks different for all of us, but we should each be seeking to conduct ourselves in a way where we are holy, which means all the different list of things that we just saw, where we are showing, I have a different kind of God. Money's not my God, so I can be generous. My own comfort is not my God, so I can be hospitable. Approval is not my God, so I can be bold. Myself is not my God, so I can be inclusive of others. 
We should be a people that is like God because of who God has been to us. So think about your life. Is this, the way you conduct yourself, true in your work? Is it true? Are you, are you looking around at the needs in the world and saying, how can I conduct myself? Are you looking around at the relationships you have and saying, do they see, is my good works, is my life showing them how good God is? Am I being distinctly good in a way that they want to know who God is? Do I live normal or do I live in such a way that financially, relationally, socially, emotionally, people are seeing something of who God has been to me? How do we participate in God's purpose? It's living lives that say and show how good God is among a people in darkness, among a world in darkness. Listen, we all want a purpose for our life to matter. We all want that. Some of us reflect more on it at other times than others. Maybe today is one of those days that you think about it again, but we all want a purpose. We all want our life to matter. God says it does deeply. God says that your life deeply matters. God wants people to know him. God wants people to be called out of darkness and enter into his light. God wants people to experience a kingdom life with him as king. And he invites us to join him in that. Which means salvation, what God has done for us, is a gift and a calling. That you have been called and commissioned. That you have been saved and sent. So what does this mean? Just a couple applications. It might mean to confess. It might mean, as we are about to take communion here in just a moment, it might mean to confess your sin to God. It might mean to say to God, maybe one of two things. God, I've not been abstaining. I've been living too comfortably in this world. I've been trying really hard to not be seen as different from this world. It might mean to confess that. It might mean to confess how you, there's sins of omission and sins of commission. Things that we don't do and things we do. It might be that you confess, I haven't been trying to be zealous for good works, devoted to good works, trying to let people see God through me. I haven't been doing that. It may be to confess. I think for all of us, it means that we must seek to participate in God's purposes in this world, to seek to join his mission. I don't know what that is for you, but I do believe that God has something for each of us to be a part of. What is your part in this? God wants to call people out of darkness into light. What's your part in that? What is your part in bringing light to the darkness? It may be around personal relationships that you seek to do this. I think that's true for all of us to some degree. It may be to work for justice in a dark world. Because part of what darkness is, is the injustice. It may be to work for that. It may be to ask God to give you ideas and to move your heart, to use your gifts and your talents and your creativity to start and to create new things to bring light into areas. 
It may be to be more conscious of your work and your job and say, how can I be a part of bringing God's light into my sphere of influence, whether that's law or education or the service industry or whatever it is, business, and to say, God, I want to bring my light, your light into this dark area. I don't, I don't know what it is, but listen, all of us should answer the question, what is my part in God's mission? What is my part? in God's purpose. What is it? I would challenge all of us to be able to, if there was a sentence, fill in the blank. This is my part. And that might change from year to year, but what is your part in God's mission? God has called you, and God has commissioned you. God has saved you, and God has sent you. You're not just a churchgoer. You're a priest. You're someone who God has saved and sent to bring light into darkness. And then finally, part of what this means is to remember who he has been to us. That's what Peter's doing in this passage, even how he starts it, is to say, look, once you weren't a people, now you're God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, now you have received mercy. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. See, what fuels all of this for us is remembering what we started in the beginning with that God called me, that God gave me mercy, that God saved me, that when we remember who he is and what he's done changes us to want to be a part of this in the lives of others. When we take communion, that's what, part of what we're remembering. We're remembering that Jesus entered into the darkness, that the king of light entered into darkness and felt the full weight of a dark world. The, it even metaphorically, to sh for God to show as an illustration, it went dark when Jesus was crucified. That the light of the world entered into darkness and his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we remember. Let that fill your heart even now as we take communion. God has a purpose for us. And when we take communion, we're remembering that. And when we, when we worship, we're remembering that. And we're asking God to make those truths deeper in our hearts. So take this time, this next minute or so, to take communion. You can also use this time to go to our Next Steps page and take some next step in response. That could be all sorts of things. That might be to serve. That might be to give. To say, I want to be a part of that. I want to continue to grow and learn. I want to be a part of community. Whatever it might be, to take some next step to say, I want to be a part of this, God. So I'll say a prayer for us, but then would you just pray in your seat and then we'll respond in worship. Also want to let you know that I'll be in the back. If uh, anyone would like prayer for healing or prayer for just anything going on in their life. Father, we thank you that you've shown us mercy. We, we don't deserve uh, to, to escape the darkness, but you showed us mercy. God, you care about the darkness in this world and you do want to bring light. Thank you that you invite us to be a part of that. God, thank you that you see the darkness in our lives and you care. You care about the suffering, you care about the sin, you care about the hopelessness and, and you want to continue to bring light to us. May we experience and remember and may we be a participant in your purpose in this world, Jesus. Let these truths even now go deeper as we pray, as we receive communion.
and as we sing. Amen.